You're listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast. We bring young agrarians and their mentors together in conversation around the challenges and the joys of life in agriculture. The average age of the American farmer is 58 years old and rising. In order to rejuvenate our fields and rangelands with a new generation of farmers, ranchers, and land stewards, we need to talk about mentorship. We need to talk about effective land transition. We need to explore what it means to apply regenerative values not only with the land, but also with the people who tend it. Together, we can build thriving ecosystems and an abundant future. My name is Ariel Bobbitt. And my name is Shauna Burhans, and we'll be facilitating these conversations. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. My name is Julie Morris, and my husband Joe and I run Morris Grass-Fed Beef in San Juan Bautista, California. My earliest memory of agriculture would probably be in my backyard, which was on 21st Avenue between Vicente and Yaloa in San Francisco, Sunset District. And I remember unrolling a swath of cotton that had seeds in it and we were reading the directions on the back of the box of how to plant a garden. And we watered it and put some dirt over it. And then we just waited for the flowers to come up. Um, I ended up on a ranch after I met Joe, and I will let him tell that story. Well, my name is Joe Morris, and um, Julie and I run T.O. Cattle Company, and we sell direct market Morris grass-fed beef and my earliest memory um, is not actually one I can remember to be honest Uh, my parents tell me that I was born with my boots on Um, and the things I remember most clearly although the time doesn't really fit with it is uh, the smells of the tarweed in the fields in the summer um, I was also born or raised in San Francisco, but my grandparents were on a ranch, and uh, their grandparents were on a ranch, and um, so we, our family's been in ranching in California for a very long time, and the plants and the place struck me very deeply as a kid, and, and um, that's continued to this day, and I never really wanted to do anything else because it's what I am. A cowboy and uh, but I had to struggle with that till I figured out how to be that in a way that that made sense to me. My name is Marissa Taylor and I live on my family's ranch in Lone Tree, Wyoming. Uh, my earliest memory of agriculture is probably riding bareback on the back of a horse, a childhood horse and as Joe mentioned, the smells, I think, resonate with me as well. The smell of horses, and for me, is brings up these like, clean and open and free memories. It was probably on the back of the horse, um, bareback, gathering cattle was one of my first memories. Uh, when I, all through my life, I would go to the ranches in the summer, Um, And as I got older and um, I could work um, for money, I went to work on ranches in 
Nevada, Montana, Wyoming, New Mexico, Arizona, all over the West. Um, and it wasn't hard to find work, but it was difficult to get paid in any way that would produce a middle-class living. And my grandfather, who was a great cowboy and a great rancher, he always discouraged me from being a rancher. He said, you can't make a living in the cattle business. Uh, go become a vet and uh, have some cows on the side. And, and, and that's and, and, and frankly, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a fine model, but that's not me. And so when I got out of university, I went to work in, in Nevada, big ranch. But I had, um, I had these ideas of, of my life contributing to the common good. And though I really loved being a cowboy, it just was just so comfortable for me. I couldn't understand the connections between that love and my desire to live a meaningful life. And so it, it took me a while, and I, I finally left ranching twice, and I went to work with the poor in South America, and then I came back to the ranch, and then I went to, again, I left the ranch with misgivings about what I was doing, and I went to Washington, D.C., and I was actually preparing um, for a, a class I was teaching during Black History Month uh, on the work of James Baldwin, a great civil rights playwright thinker and uh, American and um, I was in the public library in Washington DC looking up the works of James Baldwin and right next to his work in the stacks was some works by a guy named Wendell Berry and one of the books was this book of essays called Home Economics and that was a very strange title but I thought intriguing and so I pulled it out sat down on the floor and started reading this book and it just completely opened my mind to new possibilities and the connections between agriculture and the larger culture. Uh, my tiny little love for whatever I would do and the great big world that is um, inevitably and totally connected. Hearing your history and lining up with sort of my history is really interesting. My dad um, grew up in South Texas as having the same draw to the qualities and characters of a cowboy as I think that you had and the work and that sort of um, it's like a calling to child work and his dad who was a lawyer said um, when he turned 18 he had the opportunity to start building his own cow herd and his dad said I'll support you in anything that you do and I don't know a lot about ranching but I don't know any ranchers that have earned ranches ranching so you should go be a vet and so he did and he went and um, had an amazing career as a vet and then sold his practice to be a cowboy and so growing up we always had a ranch um, but not what he would call a ranch. It was, I mean, maybe now, knowing what I know now, maybe it could be a production-style ranch or a big enough ranch to support a livelihood. In his mind, it, wa it wasn't, so he, he sold his practice and bought the ranch that we're on now and is a cowboy for his life and um, getting to be... So getting to witness that and then also getting the opportunities to be in agriculture and share that calling to it. It's something higher than um, I think other types of work because 
if you have it in you, you are willing to forego some of the opportunities of sort of different securities that other jobs provide you. Um, a sort of a, a clear path between work and life and all of that is a different balance in ranching. But um, what he said, the piece about the vet, it sort of resonated with me. Having gotten to be the daughter of a vet and now get to live the life that he um, sort of the whole part of the cowboy pictures. He must be so proud watching you do that. I think I think he's proud. Um, I think he's I think it's a um, working with family is and working with family ranching is a really special opportunity to get to know each other as in different roles like we I have a like a mantra that I try and change my hat quickly and appropriately between daughter and mother and husband wife co-worker boss because in ranching it's part of that I think I just touched on like where your life in lots of jobs is your life and then your work is your work and ranching it's all of those things and sometimes like momentarily is you're a daughter and then a co-worker and an employee and a boss like within a conversation that sometimes happens and it's a unique challenge maybe not to ranching but for sure to family business what are you seeing um Marissa, as your biggest challenges as as a young rancher and a young female rancher the economics of ranching like i think that joe touched on a little bit is a reality for us um I think we have a more opportunity, so maybe not the same challenge that um, has always been presented, but the land value, it's very difficult to generate the a profit on the land that is equal to what you would earn with that same money and other investment opportunities. So you can't make money ranching to what you would make in other places with the same kind of capital investment. And so it is a barrier to entry for anyone that doesn't have the land, but it is even a barrier of entry for me in a family business because it does lead into um, whether it's succession or transition of that land or growing the operation in our ways. And I feel fortunate that I've got a community of people now to draw from that are leaders in the industry in a region specifically you guys in california that have are so much further down the road in that than we are in the middle of nowhere wyoming just not have the same development push (laughs) to say the least i feel like that's a double-edged sword in california because the upside is that we do have access to markets our ranch is an hour away from the silicon valley and the majority of our customers meet us on delivery day in the heart of San Jose. And they have money to spend, they're health conscious, they're educated, they want their kids to eat healthy and have a connection to where their food comes from. So that's a huge advantage for our marketing. On the flip side, land is extremely expensive in California. And 
I think that creates a barrier for people who might want to get into agriculture, but are intimidated by the costs. And I always try to tell people that want to do it that it is intimidating, but it shouldn't stop you because you don't have to own the land. We lease the majority of the acres that we run cattle on, and we've developed relationships with those landlords and those state agencies and those private landholding agencies, and you just need to be creative, I think, to create that land base that becomes your working landscape. Do you see a connection between the people that you're able to like your direct market and the people that are buying your um, your products and the I- the idea that that open space is created by the livestock or is, is held sort of for the livestock and that development in some ways is sort of counterproductive to access to that good food? Is there a connection yet? Yes, absolutely. And I think more and more our customers see purchasing Morris Grass-Fed as not only a way to put healthy protein on their table, but also a way to preserve the views of the area that they love. And when we say working landscapes, we mean that it's land used for farming and ranching that's producing good food, but it's also producing a healthy watershed and clean air and healthy grasslands and views. And that actually adds to the property value of all of the other people in our area who like to look at the green hills and the happy cows and the oak trees and the endangered species birds that are flying around. There's so many um, multiplier benefits, I think, of regenerative agriculture that we need to promote as part of our product. So the thing that has struck me um, pretty deeply is that we don't know what is possible and we have to create opportunities to explore what might be possible. And, uh, and you know, going back a little bit to how I got here is my, um, you know, my parents opened that to me. My mom sort of um, she enjoyed and encouraged my dreaming about what a ranching, what I would do as a ranch, and I'd make out plans. If I had a million dollars, I'd have a log cabin and a ranch over here and this kind of stuff as a little kid. And she just helped me dream. And my dad, um, he was a lawyer too, like your dad's dad. And he said, you know, um, do what you love, uh, and, and, and we'll try to help you figure it out. Uh, and there's always a possibility of failure, um, but I think beginning with that 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 imagination or imaginative exercise of doing what you want, I think is really important. And I think that's important for our customers too, because they don't know, <laughs> frankly, maybe none of us does know exactly what we want. You know, we have to draw this picture and imagine it as creatively as possible, and we have to create those opportunities or hold them open while we explore and uh, our customers have a yearning that Julie and I have tried to satisfy of being connected with land. I'm not sure it's how conscious that is, but I think people really, 
they want to experience the bareback riding of horses and the smells of the fields and the you know and the song of the bird and they and they and they and, they, and we have these things as human beings um and we also have all these impediments to getting there and you know the fears and the worries and the concerns and so we have to kind of help our minds observe and, and dwell on the opportunities and because we're so fortunate to be blessed and cursed with this intimacy with ranching and all the problems or challenges that are associated with we're, that's that's also a blessing that we have to share or I feel we have to share because we badly need the community to support us so that we can support them so that they can support us and you know and this virtuous cycle is is something that is entirely possible and it begins really with our own our own intentions and actions we uh, on our ranch have about between 150 and 200 nights of a year we have people come and visit us and it's not like a dude ranch it's like we're paying <laughs> like friends and family come visit us and we host them um, but I think it's a little bit of a mystery to our family because when they come they have to build fence and they work and they we it's cold or hot and there's bugs or there's ice like there's there's always some element of nature that makes the you know challenges your physical comfort and so it's a bit of a mystery to us why they keep coming back for their summer vacation or why they send their children to spend time with us and over the recently in discussions in our family have questioned the idea that potentially connection with an intimacy intimate connection with land is something that we as humans sort of fundamentally need and I think access to that through food is is one way that if you live in a place where you don't have can't get that intimate connection different than like a national park in some way I wonder if there isn't another way to help share that burden and the responsibility that we have of ranching with a larger community because they as humans they need it they need to touch the soil and maybe it's biological because our biome needs it or maybe it's something we can't explain but it's the only reason we can come up with peop why people keep coming back to visit us when we make them work so hard <laughs> on their vacation. I think that anybody can be involved in agriculture. Um, Joe's comment earlier about Wendell Berry brings to mind a quote of his that is, eating is an agricultural act. So you can live in an apartment in New York City or in San Francisco or Los Angeles, Chicago, any urban area, and still participate in regenerative agriculture with your purchases. Um, you know, the, the dollar speaks loudly in our, in our um, system, in our, in our culture. And purchasing products that are raised in a sustainable way is a way that people can support ranchers and farmers um, and not actually have to do the ranching and farming themselves. I think that's probably most people's most direct way and most powerful way to participate. 
so do those people that come and build fence for you, do they want to stay or they just want to come for a little while and go back? I think probably mixed bag. Most of them enjoy like coming in the summer when it's warm and uh, green. But there, there definitely are people where you can see that calling or that connection to the land. We've had a young man that is from Denver come when he was like, yeah, 12 maybe, and spend a week the first summer. And then the next summer, it was the whole summer. And then before he knew it, or before I guess I knew it, or his parents knew it, he conned us in me into accepting responsibility for him in high school and his parents and letting him come up and go to high school at the ranch and he just knew knew in him and his parents were um I think so forward thinking enough or big thinking enough to know that for him to fulfill like the best him he needed to be more connected or more rural and so he came and spent high school with us and then went to uh, college in Wyoming and sort of based off of the ranch for a long time. So he's, I guess, he's one example that stayed and will hopefully have a career in ag. But he's a kid from Denver who is navigating those waters of where his place is or what exactly he wants to do in agriculture. And while he loves the cowboy side, I think he is sort of balancing a little bit of what you experienced um, as a young cowboy, a young man, is that he loves the labor side, but that doesn't provide any of the securities that his peers are getting from their jobs. And so, yeah, he's in a bit of transition now. And then others like to come um, and almost everyone likes to have a job or like complete a job. Like building a fence is remarkably satisfying. Um, I think because there's physical effort into it as well as intellectual effort, like you know, figuring out how to do it and do it correctly, and then actually doing it is something that they might not get to do in their everyday life. But honestly, <laughs> it's a mystery for those of us who get to build fence. Why? Like you can finish yeah. the job and see that okay, I've accomplished this task. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there is a, um, there is something special there about getting to go to open space. That's a little bit of the wild west still where we live. Like there's, um, there's still rules to be broken and that very western cowboy landscape and it is still it is very romantic as well yeah i think that's kind of a good news good news story because there are, i think there are in my experience there are various various levels of desire to be in the position of building fences or even riding horses um you know some people really want and even you know it sounds like almost need to do it for their lives you know that's kind of what they want to they want to do and they then they're in the position of uh marissa and us and this young guy she's talking about of having to figure out how that how that works um and i think there's ways to figure it out um 
and 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 really the the land needs more people you know one of my great teachers was bud williams and he always used to he always used to say that you know we're just so dumb by getting rid of all the people on the land the land needs people to care for it and to and to and to engage intimately with it and the and the animals and and you know i mean we have this culture that's so technophilic and wants technology drones to do virtually everything that is hard or dirty and you know frankly the reason some of these things are hard that is difficult is because we don't understand how to do it in an easy way you know i mean we we you and i work with big herds of cattle and if you do it in a way that reflects drone technology you are going to create more problems than you can handle and if you do it in a way that the animals understand you're going to create a peaceful afternoon's walk and it's and it's just that different and and it's a radical difference um so i'm 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 pretty heartened by the by these young people who who really want to do this and i'm also heartened and glad that most of the people that come want to go want to go home <laughs> you know because frankly one of the attracted attractions to me is the the solitude and the, um you know being quiet with the animals who aren't asking me questions about why are we doing this how come we're doing that or if they do ask me they ask me so quietly that i really have to Not like me. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um so anyway that's um I didn't know that we shared Bud Williams as a mentor. Oh, yeah. He, for, by way of background, is, is would be like the godfather of stockmanship, or I think someone labeled his work as low-stress stock handling. But what he had that I think a lot of us either tried to learn from him or are still trying to learn is a way of communicating with animals that led to sort of a, a consensual operation so the animals chose to go where he wanted them to go by way of a shared language and he I think like a lot of leaders or pioneers he just sort of was born knowing that language, whereas a lot of us have had to learn it as like a foreign language because it's not necessarily intuitive to our like human, more predator sort of based mind. But I think Bud Williams would be in line with a lot of the re- approaches that you hear about in regenerative agriculture because it is more to be in sync with and connected to the land and the animals, but in a way that isn't maybe human-led, but sort of followed or integrated, at least from my, my understanding of his genius, his genius work. been listening to the food program it's produced by the BBC so it's sort of a British perspective of food and I think the EU is way ahead of the United States when it comes to really appreciating where their food comes from how it's grown who grows it 
what its effects are on the land. And it's also just fun to listen to all their British accents. So the food program spelled the British way, P-R-O-G-A-M-M-E. I'm writing that down right now. Um, I would probably recommend a podcast as well. Um, one of my favorites is the Working Cow podcast uh, because it gives a, a lot of content to what we do every day. But I also love that it's a way like podcasts are a really meaningful way to reach ranchers because we are either in a vehicle or can consume information like uh through yeah audibly yeah it works really well for us so the working cow podcast is important to us at the moment um and then lonesome dove as a book is like the one of our favorites but i think it captures the romance with and the connection to land in a way I know that it's kind of a cliche novel but when you said what's one of your favorites I don't know it resonated with me wow well I I um I studied the great books in at um in college so I have a long list <laughs> that I would recommend but I think that I I, I would go more um to, to rather than talk about tactical books, which there are many good ones, um, you know, to begin with Wendell Berry's books, any of them, um, the unsettling of America kind of gives a, a philosophical frame to um, the regenerative agriculture uh, uh, origins, and and um, he's brilliant. He has another book of essays called uh, "What Are People For," and I think that's a a brilliant book and uh, yeah um and um julie's saying throwing rocks at the google bus which is an interesting thing on the economy um and um but one of my one of my favorite books that i've read in the last couple years and i i reread and i think it's just a very profound understanding of an approach to life that opens up opportunities is called the book of joy and it's this conversation between the dalai lama and um, archbishop desmond tutu and it's uh, a week-long conversation be- between two men um, who um, just have, in, you know, in- endured lots of struggle and and are and are joyful nonetheless, uh, or maybe because of. But it's how they think. And then another one is um, Buddha's brain, which is really a brilliant neuroscience look at how the brain works. And if we understand a little bit about how the brain works, we're, we're so much more powerful about how to use it and uh so anyway those are a couple recommendations it's funny that you say that another book on my list right now is um understanding preschoolers or anyone who acts like them which is understanding the brain of preschoolers that have young kids and it is fascinating and enlightening to know what on a very beginning entry level what's going on in the human brain it's a great title. <laughs> it is right it's pretty true Thank you.